Well, good morning, family. Good to see you guys. If you're a guest or a curious skeptic with us this morning, we want to welcome you to Crossway. Glad you're here. And uh, I just feel like I need to say this this morning. Fear not. Oh, people of the resurrection, fear not. We're going to continue our series we're calling Supernatural. If you would, grab your Bibles, open them up to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, verse 12. Uh, It's a story about a famous uh, church scandal and what God did about it. That should pique your curiosity, Mm -hmm. huh? If you would please give your attention to the reading of God's word. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the Zealot, and Judas the son of James. All of these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was in all about 120, and said, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all of his bowels gushed out. And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the field was called in their own language, a caldama, that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, may his camp become desolate, and let there be no one to dwell in it, and let another take his office." So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward two, Joseph, called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry an apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go his own way. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We pray that your spirit would open up our hearts and our minds to hear it. And Father, we thank you this morning for the church. Thank you for all the saints that have come before us. We especially thank you for all the martyrs who have come before us, who did not hold their lives so tightly that they were unwilling to give up their lives for the gospel like the song that we just sang. They loved their lives, but they didn't treasure it. They treasured you above their lives. And when they were pressured, they would not deny you. And it's because of them, it's because of your church, that we are here today, and the gospel has come to us because of the church. And we thank God for your church and how you've preserved her, and you will continue to preserve her until your kingdom comes. Help us hear your word today. 
Help us see how strong you are. Help us see that you're a redeemer. We love you. Amen. Uh, Is there a scandal that is large enough to destroy God's purpose in the church? If you are a skeptic, then nothing seems to confirm the righteousness of your disbelief in Christianity like a church scandal splashed across the internet. And if you are a disciple of Jesus, nothing is as disillusioning to your heart as a church scandal. Amen? We, of course, are familiar with the sex scandals revealed throughout both the Catholic and the Protestant church. But there is another kind of church scandal in recent years that has impacted God's people, particularly here in America. It is the public apostasy of several prominent Christian leaders. Apostasy is just a fancy word that means abandoning your faith or your belief system. Uh, Today, most of us are more familiar with the term deconversion. You've heard of that word, right? And so these once seemingly devout worshipers of Jesus, who at least appeared to have devoted their lives to discipling others towards the Lord, have boldly turned their backs on all that they once held dear. They now uh, repudiate the gospel. They repudiate his, uh, Jesus as fairy tales for the ignorant. They were people that at one time maybe wrote songs that we sang. We maybe even sung them in church. Uh, they were people who preached sermons, sermons that we listened to, and we said, I was impacted by their preaching of the word. They wrote books that shaped our thinking and may even still line the shelves in our house, but now they renounce it all as oppressive to people and foolish. And here's the thing about what's going on now with social media in the day and age that we live in, because this has been going on, I hope you'll see, ever since the beginning of the church, okay? But what's kind of different about it is that it's not enough for them to make this decision privately for themselves, quietly, They now are publicly and actively working to undo all that they once worked to build up for Christ's kingdom. These one-time allies are now at cross-purposes with the mission of God in and through the church. And so their apostasy scandals all the rest of us who still believe. And it affects us. We wonder, how can someone who appeared so devout turn away from the Lord? That's puzzling. How could they be so deeply embedded in the church community, maybe at very high levels of the church, and now have such a hard heart against the God that loved them and saved them from a life of sin? How can this be? How is that possible? I mean, they heard the same gospel that we heard. They went on the same mission trips that we did. They made the same confessions of faith that we did, and it seems to have had no life-changing effect on them. Deconversion, or apostates, they scandalize the very witness of the church to Christ as Lord. It's like a living counter-witness to that message. You understand? Guys, this is where we find ourselves in Acts today. 
Jesus had given the apostles very clear instructions. They're to go out, they're to tell others of his lordship and of his kingdom that has come and is coming. And they're supposed to start right in Jerusalem. Remember that? There's one big problem that's standing in the way of them doing this assignment. Judas was an apostle of Jesus who deconverted, and he didn't just deconvert, he did it in the most public and scandalous way possible. This was the two-ton elephant that was in the room that the church needed to talk about. And they did. The leaders of the church said, look, we're not going to sweep this under the rug. We're not going to just kind of go on and pretend this doesn't, didn't happen. We're going to address it. We're going to talk about it. In fact, they've talked about it in a very public way because it's inscribed in Scripture for anyone to pick this book up and read. It's pretty public. This is one of the reasons why I believe that the Bible is God's Word. They didn't hide this. You edit that stuff out if you're lying, right? That's, that's not even my notes. That's for free, okay? But... Let's, let's, here's what they do, all right? Acts 1, 15 through 17, okay? So they're going to address this thing before they go out on the mission, okay? Because they know this is going to come up. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. Before I say anything else, just, I, hope, I don't think it's lost on Peter that he's the one who's talking about Judas, if you know about Peter's story. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was, all, uh, was in all about 120 and this is what he said. Brothers, the scriptures had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. Verse 17. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Luke is telling us through Peter that Judas was numbered among the apostles, and Christ gave him part of the ministry of the kingdom of God. And even though he was a fake, he was closely associated with the leaders of the church. And even though Judas worked against Jesus, he was given a part in the ministry by Jesus. And so his betrayal of Christ and Christ's mission was a black eye on anything that was going to come out of the mouth of the church now. Are you guys feeling this? He was gonna, whatever they said is going to get stained and tainted by this before it ever comes out of their mouth when they go share about Jesus with people. Okay? See, everybody in Jerusalem knew about Jesus. We just read that. They knew about him. And they associated the rest of the apostles with him. So they need to address this, and they do. Peter does. He looks it right in the eye and starts to talk about it. Peter is very clear that Judas was a guide. He says, a guide to those who arrested Jesus. That's like a summary statement. Luke does a lot of summary stuff. He sums up what a crowd is saying, sums up what a, a speech, a person who's given a speech or a sermon is doing. This is a summary statement of the entire life of betrayal of Judas. He's not talking about like the last 24 hours, okay, when he actually kind of like did the final deed. Judas was working against Jesus from the inside, and he was working from the inside very early on. Guys, he was a mole. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's how you need to see Judas. He was a mole. He was an actor. 
He was an imposter acting like a disciple of Jesus. He was just biding his time to get what he wanted. And when he finally found his moment of opportunity, he pounced. He came out. So just think about that, guys. This is the very birth and infancy of the church. Think about that. Go back and, and think of the gospel of Luke that he wrote. All those meals of acceptance with Jesus. Come in and dine with me. Come in, I accept you. Sure, I'll come eat with you. Sure, I'll come get close to you, Jesus. Think about that. Think about all those teachings that he heard. All those warnings, in one ear, out the other. Think about all the miracles that he witnessed. He even participated in one of them, right? The feeding of the 5,000, they distributed the bread. He's touching miracle bread and fish. Front row seat to the miracles of Jesus Christ, the Lord of all. Think of all those prayer times that he had participated in. Maybe prayers he had prayed and had prayed over him. He was just collecting information. Gathering and compiling information on Jesus until it benefited him and benefited Christ's enemies. And then he betrayed Christ in their usual meeting place with, by using a kiss of friendship. Remember that? Guys, Judas was literally acting like a friend of Jesus to the very last second. I mean, that's a special kind of traitor, isn't it? Huh? That's a special kind of traitor. Here's the point. Judas wasn't a true disciple that just made a big mistake one night. You understand what I'm saying? Like he wasn't someone who like really his heart was in the right place and he really loved Jesus and was like trying to follow Jesus and he just like had a bad night and made a boo-boo, okay? That's not Judas. Judas was a deceiver who wanted Jesus to be destroyed and all of his plans to be destroyed with him. And he wanted something else. Luke makes a little play on words here when he talks about what was allotted and then he bought a lot of land, a lot, a plot. He didn't want that inheritance. He wanted a different inheritance. He wanted it. He wanted it, right? So now, do you feel the scandal? Can you emotionally kind of feel that a little bit? I'm trying to get us into this story here. How can someone like Judas happen in the church and people still believe that the gospel is powerful enough to save anyone? Romans 1.16 Tell me that message. How is that possible? Really? Do you feel this? Like, why would anyone want to listen to the remaining apostles when they talk about the gospel of Jesus Christ? See? This is a black eye. Not only did the apostasy of Judas scandalize the effectiveness of the apostles' witness as they go out on this mission, but it also scandalizes, let's not forget, their leader, right? I mean, after all, Jesus intentionally chose Judas as one of his apostles. Jesus didn't make a boo-boo. Let's go to John 6, 70. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve? He's being real specific. And yet one of you is a devil. Verse 70, He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, he's numbering him, he's, he's, he's doing this very deliberately, right? Was going to betray him. He already knew it. He already knew it. Jesus chose Judas early on. This is chapter 6 of John, by the way. This is early on. And he knew he was going to work 
against him, and he brought him into the church anyway. Isn't that incredible? Judas is arguably the biggest scandal that the church has ever seen. I hope you get the magnitude of this passage in Acts. So here's the question that Luke is addressing in this passage today, both for his original readers and I think for us today. Here's the question he's addressing. Is there a scandal large enough to destroy God's purpose in his church? And here's the response to the question I think Luke gives. God's purpose in the church will withstand any scandal. Glory to God. God's purpose in the church will withstand any scandal. Luke gives us three reasons for this in the text. Let's go to the first one here. The Lord Jesus is sovereign over all scandals. The Lord Jesus is sovereign over all scandals. And we'll look right at the text, verse 16. Brothers, the scriptures had to be fulfilled which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. In the original Greek, the language is actually a little bit stronger. It reads, it was necessary for the scripture to be fulfilled. It was necessary. It wasn't optional. It was necessary. Peter is saying that Judas Judas, this Judas betrayal was necessary because it fulfilled Scripture. The event was predicted by God, the Holy Spirit, long before it ever happened. God knew. And then Peter quotes a couple of Psalms which talk categorically about uh, God's enemies. And then Peter apply, or applies that category to Judas specifically. Judas, the individual, fits the category or the typology of what an enemy of God looks like. Okay? And Peter's saying that even though this wicked thing took all of us by surprise, this did not take God by surprise at all. So don't be afraid. In fact, this wicked thing was actually part of God's plan. Though Judas did something wicked and treasonous against God's purpose, he was never at any point outside of God's plan. God is sovereign. The murder of Jesus happened by betrayal through Judas because that is exactly how God decreed it would happen. And so it did not, did not surprise God in the slightest. He knew it was going to happen. You know why he knew it? He decreed it would happen. That's how he knew it would happen. Peter, listen, is removing the shame of this scandal. He knows there are people going to bring it up. And he's removing the shame of it because they're going to want to talk to, you, talk to them about it. Sure, I'll talk about it. I'm not going to hide it. Let's talk about it. He's removing the shame of the scandal by informing us that it, is part, it was part of God's plan from the very beginning. So when they go out to witness that Jesus is Lord over all things and their opponents bring up this deconversion scandal and ask, well, how could this happen if Jesus is Lord, if he really is in control over all things? How did he not know? The apostles' answer is basically this. He did know. He did know. And he continued to live side by side with his enemy knowing that nothing can stop God's plan of salvation. 
That proves how sovereign he is. Peter does not remove the sting of the scandal. It still hurts. They've still got some emotional stuff to deal with, of course. But he does remove the shame of it. It's not unmentionable. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's not untalkable. Okay. He doesn't explain why it happened. Why did God do it this way? He doesn't explain the why. Did you notice that? But he does explain how it could be, how it could happen. Okay? And you know what? Maybe that's all we need to understand during a scandal. Maybe that's enough to know that God is in control. Maybe it's enough for us to know for now that God has morally sufficient reasons for why he ordains what he does even though God's reasons aren't clear to our minds. Let me say that again. God has morally sufficient reasons for why he ordains what he does even though God's reasons may not be clear in our minds right now. Moneyball was a movie that told the story about the Oakland A's historic turnaround season of 2002. You guys ever seen, have you guys seen that movie? Okay. The general manager, Billy Bean, goes against all conventional baseball wisdom to build a winning team by dumping his best players, hiring losers that no team wants anymore, and then employing statistical science to get more runs than other teams so he can get more wins. That was his plan, his strategy to win. So, and here's the thing, no owner, no manager or player or fan or expert even had a category to understand what Billy Bean was doing. And you know what? He was scandalizing the game. You don't play baseball like that. He was scandalizing everyone else that played by these different strategies. At at first, the A's lost a lot of games under this new system, and Bean's opponents used it to shame him. But then they hit a winning streak. The A's won an unprecedented 20 wins in a row. (laughs) It's something that the best teams in baseball history with the best players on their team had never done before. And yet the A's did it with a roster of losers. How could this be? How could this be? And people couldn't understand how this could happen. They would say things like this. There is no explanation for why this is working. There is no explanation. We've thought about it. We've, but in, see, they're still in this category. They're thinking it. We've thought about it. We've tried to we slice it up every which way. There is no good reason why this is working. But what people really were saying, what they really meant was, because I cannot see a reason why this is working, then there is no reason. You understand what I'm saying? Actually, there was a reason why they were winning all along. Billy Bean and his partners employed a strategy to win that no one could have even imagined at the time. You know what, guys? That's how we are with God, right? We think because we don't see a reason why God would do it this way, 
then there must be no good reason. But there's a reason all along. It happened this way because God is sovereign over scandals, including people that publicly reject the faith that they once claimed. They do not take the Lord by surprise. They actually fit into his plan somehow. They only come about, the situation only comes about because he has ordained that it come about and he has morally sufficient reasons that we do not see at the moment. Brothers and sisters, God will be glorified in his church no matter what. Even when God seems to be employing a losing strategy, God wins. God wins. It will work. Second reason his, his, uh, plan works is this. God will remove the wicked. His purposes will endure because the Lord will remove the wicked. Look at verses 18 through 20. Now this man, he's talking about Judas, now this man acquired a field, a plot, a lot, with the rewards of his wickedness and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle and all his bowels gushed out. Isn't that pleasant? It became to known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. See, everyone in town knew about it, right? So the field was called, in their own language, Ekladama, that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, Peter says, may his camp become desolate, and let there be no one to dwell in it. And it says, let another take his office. So Luke digresses to explain what happened to Judas, and he lets us know that he is judged by God. Okay? This wasn't an accident. He just kind of like fall off a cliff on accident. He was judged by God, Peter's telling us. It's gross, it's painful, and it's a dishonorable death. And it's, by the way, it's similar to the kind of death that King Herod dies later on in Acts. It says that something happens with his bowels. It's very painful for him. Uh, King Herod was standing in the way of God and God's purposes, and he was working against God's purposes as well. We also, by the way, see uh, God judge a married couple in the church in just a couple of chapters named Ananias and Sapphira. They claimed to be numbered among the church, just like Judas, right? And yet they lied to God. And so God removed them right on the spot. Judgment day is today. So here's the point of all that. God removes the wicked who work against him. God removes the wicked who oppose him, whether they are numbered among his people in the church or whether they are outside the church. He knows. He knows the wheat and the weeds, right? God easily moves those that oppose his mission and oppose his purpose just out of the way, right? Just like this. God just kind of goes, okay, all right. That's nice. We're going to keep going. The wicked will not endure long. That's the point for the church. It's supposed to comfort us to know that there is no individual, there is no scandal strong enough to stand in the way of God's purposes in the church. And yet there is also kind of a warning side of this, if you can, you can kind of feel it, Right? This also means that there is no individual or couple or family that is irreplaceable or immovable in God's church either. 
So we're not going to look down on other people, right? The Lord says this about Judas. Judas is dead. Let another take his place. Just replace him. That's what God says. I mean, wait a minute. How do you replace an apostle, God? Like, isn't it hard? Isn't that like a kind of a, right? He says so matter-of-factly. I mean, apostles are pretty rare, right? They're pretty unique. And, and by the way, they're pretty important to the stability of the church, right? They are the foundation of the church, the teachings of the apostles, it says, right? I mean, isn't it going to be like incredibly difficult to replace an apostle, God? Isn't there like a ton of paperwork that has to be filled out? There's like a grueling vetting process, Jesus? Like, right? And yet the Lord looks at what Judas did, and he just simply says, next. Next. <laughs> right? I've removed him. Have someone else fill his place. And the church just keeps on rolling. As Mahalia Jackson once sang, right? And the church rolls on. Fulfilling God's purposes. And here we are today, 2,000 years later. Church still rolling on, right? Rome's gone. Roman Empire's gone. Church is here. Whoa. Replacing someone as unique and as important as an apostle is easy for King Jesus to do. That's not even a thing. That's not even a thing for Jesus. Right? Good news, brothers and sisters. One wicked man, one wicked woman is not going to bring down God's church. Isn't that great? God will remove them when the time is right, when the time has been fulfilled, when their days have been fulfilled, right? We, ourselves, we are totally removable. We are totally replaceable too, right? There is only one individual who is irreplaceable and immovable. There is only one individual upon which the church stands or falls, and that person is Jesus Christ. We need to remember that during a scandal. There is hope for us. I thought you guys say amen there, but oh well. <laughs> Third reason his purpose will endure. Lord Jesus will restore what is broken. The Lord Jesus will restore what is broken. Let's go to the text here, verse 24. And they prayed. They prayed. Well, the church is, 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 is moving together at the speed of prayer again, huh? They're praying again together. They said, you, Lord, know the hearts of all. Show which one of these two you've chosen to take the place of this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. Luke tells us that Judas, he's telling us here that Judas was replaced because he deconverted and was judged by God, not because he died. James dies, and they don't place him, right? Remember, he gets beheaded. He is replaced because he apostatized. He deconverted, and God judged him, and that's why he's being replaced. Something significant is happening here, and the, the replacement, whoever this replacement was, had certain requirements to meet in addition to the obvious you know, moral requirements. Namely, this person had to be an eyewitness to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, 
And so the apostles pray after presenting two candidates, and their prayer reveals that they are relying on the Lord, and also that they believe that the Lord has already chosen Judas's replacement. And they're going to be good with that. They're going to be okay with that. When Luke uses the word Lord in Acts, he usually is referring to Jesus specifically, not just like God. He's usually referring to Jesus, okay? So just as it was Jesus alone who chose the 12 original disciples, so it will be ascended and resurrected Jesus who is going to choose the replacement apostles. Guys, listen to the point. Jesus is still at work in his church. He's not done. He's still at work. And so the lots are cast, and they, they fall on Matthias, and I want you to know something about this, too. This is really interesting. This is the only mention of Matthias in the entire Bible, right here, okay? He disappears into total obscurity after this scene, right? And unlike the other candidate that was mentioned, remember? Luke records no additional information about him. We don't know anything about this guy. Wouldn't you want to know who your new apostle was, right? We don't know anything else about this guy except for that, that Jesus chose him to be an apostle. This is kind of interesting. I want you to get this. Matthias becomes a pillar of the church, okay? An apostle. And yet he's literally less than a footnote in church history. And that's because Jesus is the point, not Matthias. Jesus is the hero of the church, right? Jesus is always the hero of the church. That's where we put our faith, Crossway. Jesus made a promise that upon the rock-solid confession that he is both Lord and Christ, he, Jesus, will build his church and the gates of hell will not stand against him. And he meant it when he said it. He's doing it, right? Not even the scandal of the betrayal and attempted sabotage of an apostate at the highest levels of the church can stop the plan and purpose of God Almighty. He really is building his church, and the gates of hell will not stand against it. Praise God. No matter how the devil rages, no matter what sin may damage, it will be replaced by the reigning Christ and King of whom you and I bear witness to. That's what we're doing here when we gather here today. We are bearing witness to a world. Jesus reigns, and that's why we are here. Jesus has already got his replacement in mind. Isn't that good news? He's already thought about it. He's already planned for it. Jesus is already repairing the breaches. He's already strengthening the gaps, making it stronger than it ever was. He is building his church, and nothing, 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 and no one can stop his purpose. Glory to God. Oh, church, put your hope in Christ, both now and forevermore. Let's pray. King Jesus, we love you. We thank you. Uh, that you build up and tear down, you appoint and remove. You are the sovereign Lord of all. And Lord, we pray that you would ha uh, help us. We ask by your Holy Spirit and your power that you would help us put our trust in you, even when we're being shaken, even when people are going out of their way to put YouTube videos aimed at middle schoolers and high schoolers of how they deconverted. You are more sovereign than them. 
you are stronger than that. And your purposes will not fail. Lord, help us put our hope in you. Help us be submissive to you. Help Crossway Church want to trust you and obey you this week in particular. We love you. We glorify your name. Thank you for being faithful even when we are not. Amen.